Welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari Shrike, the artist and creator behind Not Sorry Art and Not Sorry Art School. I'm so excited to talk art and creativity with you. So grab a drink, grab a snack, and let's dive in. Hello and welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari and today's episode is all about the part-time artist. In fact, I titled the blog in defense of the part-time artist. It's something that I felt for a long time, not only because I have spent many years being a part-time artist. I'm a full-time artist now, but for the majority of my working career, I was a mom with an art side hustle. And let me tell you, nothing gets people to stop asking about your art career faster than letting them know that you're actually a mom who does art on the side. Something about that, something about the way, maybe you guys noticed this, but I always think it's really interesting whenever I meet someone and we do sort of the pleasantries and I think it's a part of American culture, correct me if I'm wrong here, US culture, but usually one of the first things people ask is, what do you do for work? And being an artist really encompasses a pretty wide range of what that could mean because I think, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily people being mean or malicious, but people either consciously or subconsciously need to sort of sort you on a pecking order. And by asking that, you know, by telling someone you're an artist, you don't narrow it down much because you could be someone who, <laughs> I don't want to throw anyone's practice under the bus, but someone who does something very small beans, a hobby, usually associated with feminine crafts, uh, all the way up to someone who's a blue chip New York artist. Obviously, if you're running into me in small town Texas, you probably have ruled out the latter. But that being said, it's it's usually to say I'm an artist isn't doesn't really quench the thirst, <laughs> so to speak. People don't still don't know where to place me. And so the next question is usually, are you a full-time artist? Are you a, are you part-time? Are you full-time? Some version of that question. And again, I understand where this comes from, and I'm not saying that everyone who asks this question is malicious or classist or or something like that. Again, it really is culture. I will say that because of these interactions, I have gotten to a point where I don't ask this anymore, but I understand it, and it's just you know part of being alive at this day and age in this part of the world. So I'm 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 at peace with it. But I think it's really interesting, and I think about it a lot. What this might say about the way our culture thinks of part-time artists and that there really is sort of a value being placed on whether or not someone's full-time or part-time and I have a lot to say about it I mean this is obvious that's why I'm turning it into an episode so this episode is all about being in defense of the part-time artist and it's not just going to be platitudes of course everyone who is doing a creative practice whether it's a hobby a part-time job, whether you're doing it in tandem with another full-time job and it's two full-time jobs, whatever it looks like for you, it's valuable. That's I hope that goes without saying. But I actually think that part-time artists can tell us a lot about the art-making process. I think um, a lot of times their insight is really valuable. I also want to make sure and say that, of course, wanting to be able to do art full-time is an understandable goal. I'm not persuading anyone to, to stop dreaming about that. Um, I think I'm just wanting people to, if that if that goal is many years off, to, to maybe give themselves a little more compassion for where they're at. But uh, the elephant in the room, of course, is that, yeah, being a full-time art, artist is a privilege for, for time and I mean, mostly for time, <laughs> but it, it's time is such a luxury these days that I don't want to downplay in any way that being able to devote your time to being a full-time artist, having full-time practice, and 
you know, the fact that that offers you the ability to spend more time applying for shows, but being better at your taxes, I mean, you name it, just all kinds of stuff. And so there is certainly advantage to being full-time and again I'm not I'm not downplaying that I'm not saying it shouldn't be your goal but again if you aren't in a place where you can do that yet or if you're in a situation where maybe you have slowly ventured into full-time and you're feeling exhausted by it you feel like it's not working for you in some capacity and you're wanting to go back or something like that just Maybe listen to this episode and and see if it brings you an ounce of peace. That's my goal. That's my intention. I have a lot of love for part-time artists. I probably will fluctuate in between being a full-time and a part-time artist my whole life. That's just the nature of creativity. And so if you're interested in my thoughts on this, keep listening. Thank you for being here and enjoy the episode. So let's jump back to college. College Sari, let's introduce you guys to her. I was a fine art and graphic design double major. A lot of overlap between those classes, not as impressive as it seems, but the thing you need to know is that I was living in the arts department. In addition to this, I was a full-time student athlete and um, cross-country runners, also ran track. So I was doing a sport all year round and I had a part-time to full-time job at a fast food joint an ice cream place during this whole time I had to pay for books in my car and um, eventually room and board so you know all of that was just to give you a little insight I was a pretty intense person I think you have to be pretty intense to take on something like that for four years and I believe to some degree I was I was really convinced that the way you sort of proved yourself or your dedication to something was by the sweat of your brow. A belief that probably got me through those really hard four years of college, but a belief that was largely shattered whenever my college painting professor, who I deeply looked up to, still do, still great, um, very much a mentor, but he said that his favorite students were typically the art minors, thus implying that not it wasn't always the art majors. And this caught me off guard because as was previously stated, I thought that sort of the way to prove yourself and the way to be a better artist, or at least to get the painting professor to say he liked you most, was to be the kind of student who lived at the Pool Art Center and (laughs) was just so committed to your craft. But he explained that the reason for this was because the art minors were usually taking obviously other things for their major. So biology, education, history, philosophy, writing, all kinds of things, private liberal arts college. So just think of any of those (laughs) kinds of majors. And their work usually was responding to what they were doing with the rest of their time in a way that was really interesting. And I can totally see this. I actually had an example of this. My studio mate, that I we were the same grade we were really close she was a biology minor I think so slightly different but we both were doing a lot of landscapes uh, by the end of our senior year and she was taking a bunch of microbiology classes well she started painting these really cool cell structure type visuals in with her landscapes I won't be able to explain it to you but just trust they were really cool I think about them from time to time even still and it was her sort of responding to what she was learning about cell structures and how they were mimicked in the you know the macro world or I don't know I'm getting it all wrong but but it was really cool and it added a really cool element to what she was doing and I was totally sold all of a sudden I could totally see what my professor was saying and it really ignited a spark in me that art really needs to be responding to something. Art isn't sort of a thing in and of itself. Art is the human response to 
life to whether that life is your biology class or being a mom or being a barista or being a an archaeologist it's responding to something and obviously you don't need to have a whole other career or major or some crazy life thing to make good quality art I'm not saying that at all but what I am saying is that when you have something else that you're doing with your mind and your body and your soul art sort of gives you that avenue to explore that rather than being sort of the end goal in and of itself and when it comes to balancing a full-time job and a part-time job, I will say I don't have a ton of experience in the fact that I quit my full-time job whenever I gave birth to my first child for a multitude of reasons, some of some of that being um, mental health. Plus, there's you know no real maternity leave in the jobs that I was working. So, you know, I took off time and and then by two months after I had my kid, um, <laughs> I started challenging myself to do the daily painting challenge or started out with doodles. But, you know, this, I think this more reflects of just how much of a hard time I was having at this point in my life and how much of a life raft the art was for me. And I think part of it's because I ended up figuring out pretty quickly that being a mom and being an artist is actually a pretty spectacular balance. If you're not expecting it to be some full-blown thing, um, especially if you're doing it by yourself, especially if your partner has a job or maybe you have several kids or a child with high needs, high support needs. It just, there's all kinds of reasons. But that being said that I was largely alone and my, again, my, my whole thing with my daily painting practice that I started in 2016 was just to devote a little bit of time every day to my art and see what happened. Really this like, non-judgmental non-critical space for my art practice to flourish and, and like I said what I found was that pretty quickly it became apparent that motherhood and art were a pretty solid combo motherhood is really emotionally challenging and certainly really physically challenging especially in the first years you're literally someone's food sometimes you are holding and carrying and changing and picking up and running after and constantly sort of on guard in a way that's really <laughs> exhausting but at the same time certain aspects of early motherhood are pretty mentally understimulating and I found that art was kind of the perfect remedy for that I could sit on my yoga mat with my watercolors and was I going to come up with a masterpiece for me at that time certainly no but it was enough of a mental challenge and a way for me to feel like a human outside of my little child orbit that it really sort of was in a, lo a lot of ways what I needed not entirely there's just so much need in that early stage not only from your child but you know it's just a very demanding phase of life but it was it was very helpful incredibly helpful and I you know I found that those two things paired together beautifully and with motherhood you have a lot to respond to I remember reading a bunch of books on early childhood education and I started reading books on respectful parenting and some really great stuff I mean the, the big thing was that I didn't have grandparents or you know parents I could ask these questions to I felt really alone and so basically I joked that <laughs> my kid's grandma was basically Google so I did a lot of googling a ton of reading of really good books and this affected my art and it affected my art not 
so much in subject matter, but in my approach. I sort of took a gentle parenting approach to myself and to my art practice. And I don't know if I hadn't been learning those things, you know, raising my child and trying to break generational trauma and being really intentional with that, that I would have learned the skills that I needed to have a robust, abundant, kind, accepting, loving, patient practice. The thing that makes me able to, I think, produce art, to produce content, to share, to grow, to be the thing I am now, the groundwork for that was set when I had this humble little tiny 20 minutes a day chicken scratch on a notebook kind of art practice. And that's the value. It's not so much that you have to make this big great art But art gives you sort of this playground to implement the things that you're learning and and process it in a way that isn't directly going to impact your real life. And there's something really wonderful and liberating and healthy about that that I, I can't recommend enough. So I value my practice and I valued what I was doing with the rest of my time, which was parenting and learning about parenting and trying to be a good parent and, you know, all of that stuff. But as my career grew, you know, it started out really humble, just a self-improvement project slash hobby, whatever you want to call it, that first year. It slowly started to make more money than the engagement shoots I was doing or the little odd odd jobs that I was doing at the time with a baby. And then it became a full bona fide part-time job that was pretty awesome. And then, you know, years later it turned into a full-time job and now my husband helps me full-time with what I'm doing. So, you know, it's really grown. And I only bring this up to say that with that growth has come a certain amount of opportunity for me to dedicate quite a bit more time to my practice if I want to. Obviously we still have children and there's some limitations to that. But there's a situation between us where if I really needed to devote eight, 10 hours a day for a certain period of time to my art, if I had a deadline, for example, I could do that. Which brings me to my other point, which is to say that the idea of a full-time artist may not be what you think it is. When we think full-time, a lot of times we think 40 hours, two days off on the weekend, two weeks off a year. At least if you're from the United States, that's probably what you're thinking. And I would argue that my actual time spent painting never really changed from part-time. I still paint and do really deep creative work. A little bit more of that's writing these days, but mostly painting. If everything is doing great in the rest of my life, I am lucky if I can get about four and a half hours a day into painting. And if you follow my Instagram and TikTok, I'm still very prolific. I still spend, I still make a lot of work. Now granted some of that is because I do tend to paint quickly. Not everyone paints at the same pace. That is totally fine. There's nothing wrong. But I'm trying to make the point that after you become full-time, a lot of that time goes into a couple of places. One, the admin. And I can't understate how much effort it takes to run the admin of a small business. If you're a full-time artist, you are also sort of de facto a business owner. That's just kind of the nature of it. And because of that, you're doing taxes, you're doing um, ordering of materials, you are usually having to run a website, do your marketing, social media, reaching out to galleries, applying for shows. I mean, it. I could sit here and ramble for probably <laughs> literally 15 minutes listing off all the things that the admin by itself, you know, is for a full-time artist. The other thing as a full-time artist you spend a lot of your time doing is 
looking for inspiration (laughs) and okay that that sounds like all I'm saying is that you sort of walk around your house and ponder I'm picturing that Escobar meme of him standing in various rooms kind of looking around I don't know if that went over everyone's head but the point is it's you think it's just you you just sit and wait for ideas to hit you and certainly there's a you know for me anyways there's a decent amount of just staring into space and things just kind of pop into your head but I would say that most of that waiting for inspiration to hit you for me, happens in in terms of cleaning my kitchen and going on walks and doing yard work and gardening and talking to my, a lot of it's talking to my children, frankly. Just sitting with them, going to the library, quite a bit of it's reading audiobooks about things I'm interested in. A lot of it is, for me personally, inner child healing work. That tends to be something my art focuses on. But just sort of being a human, taking care of yourself and my other job. And so upon reflecting over this, when I started to write this episode, I became really curious, well, what is the maximum amount of hours someone can spend working? Because I still have to fight the urge to want to work really hard to, you know, tapping back into college series mindset to really prove to people that I've earned this job because I do feel incredibly lucky and privileged to be here. So a you know, trait that I have is that a day where maybe I go paint for three hours total and spend the rest of the day hanging out with my kids, listening to an audiobook and cooking dinner, I can end up feeling really guilty because I do consider myself a full-time artist and what, I only painted for three hours and posted for one. It's just, it can become something that I really fight against. And so I looked into how many hours a day can someone be really creative And if someone's listening who doesn't maybe have a super robust creative practice or has never done art in a really large capacity, I will say that really in the zone creative work, it's also referred to as flow state, feels different than just grunt work or just like menial tasks, like the amount of energy it takes to sort of sweep my studio, paint the edges, stack papers, you know, whatever, clean the windows. It feels totally different than the kind of energy it takes to really get into a painting or to get into really deep research or, you know, something really creative. It, the time does a lot of times seem to go faster, but I get super duper exhausted and I personally, again, burn out at about the four hour mark, maybe four and a half hours. And I, I kind of, you know, I, we, I talk about it with my husband all the time. I'm just sort of zapped and he knows, like, I'll just say, Hey, like, can't use that part of my brain anymore. It's all like, I get, have me sweep the floor. I can't talk about finances right now. Like, it's just, it really does drain you in a way that other tasks don't. And I found in my research that actually there's quite a bit of information that really supports this. So it's not just me being lazy, (laughs) which is a relief, but there's lots of information about how many hours a day you can be highly creative. There's this article from Medium. I'll be sure to include it in the show notes. They talk about the view of work from several people who are widely considered to be geniuses or at least very prolific and creative people. The first one is Charles Darwin and the article talks about how he wrote 19 books in his life and that his work schedule was divided up into three 90-minute periods and that he would go on multiple walks and really only focus his quote serious work into those very brief windows of time. 
There was another academic by the name of Henry Poincar who was also, he studied philosophy and science and topology and astronomy and all kinds of stuff. Lots of great accomplishments. And it was said that he only did his hardest thinking or his creative work between the hours of 10 a.m. and noon. And then he'd have another session between 5 and 7 in the afternoon. And then he also was cited to really enjoy walks and taking lots of downtime. Another person they mentioned in this article was Thomas Mann, who is a German writer, and I love the description about his day. It basically says that he started his day at nine, shutting himself in his office with strict instructions not to disturb him. Wow, that's really relatable. And then after lunch, he would um, dedicate himself basically to read and to just go for walks, and I think that's pretty amazing. I'm finding that a lot of people who are really creative enjoyed naps walks and then very focused do not disturb times and those times rarely exceeded two hours and they may have a couple of those a day but that the bursts of energy weren't that long there was another novelist who was a bit of a night owl he tended to work between 4 and 7 p.m and sort of would sleep in and lounge a lot of the rest of the day but i think this is really interesting because people's most productive chunks of time vary but what stays pretty consistent with all the examples that this article gave was that people like i said a couple hours tops a few hours tops and and that was all that they put in the article also sort of alludes to the fact that there's actually a point of diminishing returns when it comes to creative work, that the more you spend on it, the actually, the more you kind of go backwards, which I think is interesting. I know I can personally attest to that, but it's interesting to see that that pans out when it's studied on a larger scale. But all this talk about these short little stints of intensity followed by lots of rest and recovery and downtime, all of this sort of sounds familiar to me. And again, if we can go back to college, Sari, I think she would have a lot to say about this. And that's because I was a full-time student athlete. In a way, my job, the way I was paying for my tuition was through my athletic performance. And so I took my athletic performance pretty seriously, at least as serious as I could between my job and all of my other demands. But that being said, I can remember as an athlete knowing just how beneficial naps and rest and recovery and stretching are for your very intense workouts. And this makes sense. The key to being a really good runner isn't that you start running at 8.30 a.m., you take lunch, and then you run until 5 p.m. If somebody tried to train for a marathon, you know, even a distance running event by doing that, I don't know that anyone scientifically would say that was a good idea. And I think this is really interesting because I find that creativity tends to mimic this. Both of them are intense bursts of dedicated, intense action, followed by lots of support and breaks that really help that pursuit. But it's not just me who made this connection between athletes and artists and how athletic performance and creative practice very much mirror each other. Also, the Hungarian-American positive psychologist Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, I believe is how you pronounce that. I apologize if I got that wrong. But he actually coined the term flow state. And I'm sure you've heard of flow state. I'm not going to get into the weeds other than to say that it's generally described as sort of a meditative ego-free state that you get into when you're really in the zone. You can also hear it described as like hyper-focus. And when I was saying earlier that it felt like to me, even back in the day, that there was this distinction between sweeping my studio and picking up my brushes and then 
the work that I did when I would get sucked into a painting, it seems that this distinction can be summed up as flow state. And I think it's important for creatives to know that the kind of work you do in flow state is measurably different than other kinds of work. Csikszentmihalyi became interested in this in the 1960s when he actually observed painters, no less, who immersed themselves in their work and deep concentration and focus. And he was fascinated by the fact that they could sit for hours and hours and really get lost in what they were doing without needing breaks. He became interested in the fact that both creatives and athletes could kind of exist in this weird flow state or egoless state. I will say for the sake of this podcast is the definition sort of ebbs and flows it's more of a theory if you're interested in flow state there's a lot of really good books on it obviously Jixon Mihai has a great book on it I believe it's called flow I'll include that also in the show notes but the comparison to me as someone who has done both pretty intensely both being a very devoted athlete who would have two a days spend time in the gym do the whole dedicated athlete life and then also as someone who has been a full-time professional artist and someone who's been a part-time artist I just think that it's really interesting that those things are related to each other and I guess what I'm trying to get at at this point is that the term full-time is is it largely a status question but I also believe that being a full-time artist isn't sitting at a desk for 40 hours being able to sit and paint for 40 hours or even 30 hours or 35 hours that even the most prolific of us and the most dedicated and hardworking of us really could eke out maybe 20 hours of dedicated creative work a week and so I think the idea around what kind of structure a creative fits into should really become a much less important question and focus focus for the artist and for the people asking the question and I suppose the last thing I want to say in regards to all of this is that most artists are part-time artists I can write full-time artist on my tax return but the truth of the matter is if somebody looked at my work schedule for a day all the tasks I do I might be more mom than, <laughs> I'm probably more mom than visual artist. I say that at risk of scaring off collectors, but it's it's the truth. And I don't want people to feel like what they're doing is lesser or inferior and that in fact, there's aspects to what you're doing that might give you an advantage over someone who's t- decided to take the plunge as a full-time artist. And to slow down and maybe question your motives for becoming a full-time artist and just extend yourself grace and understanding and I I suppose in short I'm trying to give you another layer of of something to think about when it comes to how you evaluate your work status as an artist and to value not only being a hobby artist but a part-time artist and a full-time artist and all of the gray area in between all of those things. All this to say I'm wanting to drive home the point that despite our 40 hour week sort of culture and these seemingly arbitrary definitions around full-time versus part-time as a way to measure your dedication or your validity as an artist it's all arbitrary whether you're spending the remaining part of your work day managing your art business resting doing all the other things a full-time creative would do or if you're spending that time working another job that provides health insurance and keeps the lights on or what other variety of of things you have going on, all of those expressions of a creative practice are totally valid. 
So whenever someone asks you if you're an artist or you tell someone you're an artist and the follow-up question has something to do with are you full-time, how many hours a week do you practice, do you get into galleries, I want you to remember that those things don't define your practice. Granted, they may come from curiosity, but I hope that with this episode, this helps sure up your center and really gives you the confidence to know that all versions of a creative practice are totally valid. Whether that changes, that's static, I just want you to have the confidence to know that whatever you're doing, however you're choosing to create, whatever is accessible to you, is wonderful and you should have confidence in what you're doing. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope it was in some way helpful or reassuring. I have such a soft spot for part-time artists. I mean, again, truthfully, I feel like a part-time artist most days. And so I just feel like we kind of have to stick together and look out for each other and maybe normalize not asking people if they're part-time or (laughs) full-time. I also wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who not only listened but leaves reviews. It's so helpful for emerging podcasts like this podcast so I wanted to say thank you to Desiree Wilson Art that's D-E-S-I-R-E-E at Maddie Reese Art that's M-A-D-D-I-E R-E-I-S-S-A-R-T I want to say thank you to Sup Hey Hey at Rebecca Winia Art that's R-E-B-E-C-C-A W-Y-N-I-A Art at Lisa Mayberry, um, L-I-S-A-M-A-B-E-R-R-Y. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> uh, thank you to Big Doe Fresh MC Funk. And thank you to J-S-W-A-N-D-E-R-U-L-O. Thank you so much for everyone leaving a review taking the time to write that it's so helpful and as always this episode is sponsored by not sorry art school that's my online art school that i created for students who wanted to learn the fundamentals of representational art we started out with the foundations it's grown over time now there's all kinds of different lessons for you to learn we are adding a color theory section this upcoming year last year we added how to paint water portrait painting a david hockney master study It's always growing. There's a wonderful community on Facebook. So if you're wanting to learn more about how to paint and you want to join an amazing community of creators, please look into Not Sorry Art School. Again, thank you for listening. Happy creating.